Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have a great returning guest. I've spoken to him many times, Ken McCarthy. He's been involved with the internet uh, really since its inception, and he helped pioneer a lot of the technology that we use today, you know, email opt-in pages, just to name one of many things. Uh, recently, I've, well, I've been on Ken's list for years, and I can say over the past three years, his emails have been instrumental in helping me cope with all the, you know, the BS and the stuff that's been going on due to the whole COVID situation. So he's really been a ray of hope, uh, even though, unfortunately, he shows you the unvarnished truth about what's actually going on and what's actually behind the whole COVID scam. But again, it's, his emails have also been a source of hope when very little hope was there. So I really want to thank Ken for that. And I was just telling him offline that I'm just amazed and I marvel about his just never-ending search for corruption and bringing that to light. I don't know how someone can do that for so long and not be, I don't know, just turn into a miserable wretch. <laughs> but uh, he hasn't. So I want to you know, just thank him for being on. And we're going to talk about his new book, Unraveling the COVID Con Part 2, which is on Amazon and doing very well. So Ken, welcome back and thank you. Thanks for having me, Richard. Yeah, I hate to make you rehash this, but uh, tell me about what you were thinking and feeling even before the whole scamdemic started and what led you to write the first book and now the second one. Well, let's see. The first book, is a compilation of my blog posts from March 2020 to around October, November 2022. So it's sort of like a diary of how the whole thing unfolded with my commentary in real time as it was unfolding. And as you know, I was pretty critical of the reporting uh, as it was going on. So that was what the, the first volume is. And volume two are transcripts of podcasts I did, including interviews in the very early months in April 2020 and May 2020. And they're extended pieces. The, the volume one is a lot of short pieces, but the uh, volume two is some pretty, you know, some pretty extended stuff. And, you know, I, I think now it's okay for people to call it bullshit, but boy, back in, in the spring of 2020, you, you, you weren't allowed to even question it, let alone ask questions about it. One of the things that I did early on was question Fauci's career, which wasn't really rocket science to do. He has a very public career of failure and fraud. Oh, yeah. But, but that's only known now for some reason. I mean, even, even there are still people that don't know it. So I talked about that. I talked about the comparisons between Nazi science or science under the Nazis and medicine under the Nazis and current day medicine. Unfortunately, I don't think it's really that big a, a leap. I talked about the great flu psyop because the whole foundation of the COVID story was that in 1918, there was this you know mystery flu that killed 100 million people. And that's not exactly accurate. <laughs> so I, I went into a, a long thing on that. So that's what the second book is, is more extended pieces. But I'm happy to have included my February 1, 2020 tweet. And for perspective, in 2020, the, the virus had not left China yet. 
And nobody was talking about lockdowns. They weren't even suggesting them. That's February 1st. And so what I tweeted was still missing from news reports. Wuhan is capital of the most polluted province and the most polluted country in the world. Yes, a respiratory flu is going to kill older people already in poor health, which is the exact profile of those dying. And then my second tweet, again, this was on February 1st, 2020. My assessment is probably a real flu, but the idiot news media is being led like puppets on a string by the vaccine industry to sell more flu shots and prepare the way for a coronavirus vaccine, which is already close and is being fast-tracked, i.e. less science, more speed. And I don't know if any people who are listening saw the accidental interview with um, the executive at Pfizer. She was being interrogated by the European Union. And uh, she admitted that, yeah, we had no idea whether this thing stopped transmission or not. That's crazy. Um, It's at the point where, like, if the CEO of Pfizer literally beheaded someone in front of Congress, they'd be like, oh, that's, yeah, I know, it was a wardrobe malfunction or something. Who knows? I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But she, she literally said... Well, we had to operate at the speed of science, which is <laughs> such a good line because sometimes science can go fast, but generally science, if it's done well, takes time. And she was basically, and of course, they didn't they didn't follow any kind of a, any science. But but I do have some interesting news. I also published a book called The Nuremberg Code, the 75th anniversary commemorative edition, and that's doing along with Vera Shirov, a Holocaust survivor and a, and a scholar of medical system abuse, basically. And um, that book's doing very well. It's, it's consistently in the top 10 of medical ethics, top 10 of legal ethics. But but uh, the UK will not, UK Amazon will not uh, make it available to its customers. We that's have crazy. That's, yeah, we, that's, that's, that's totally crazy. But they but they're doing it in a very sly way. We have somebody over there who's been who ordered it when it was new. And he kept getting notices that there's a delay, there's a delay, there's a delay. And finally, he got a notice just this week saying, I'm sorry, this product is not available. Well, that's bullshit because it's a print-on-demand book and England has a print-on-demand facility and they've got the file. So they are, they are you know, what do they call it? Shadow banning, you know, or soft censoring uh, the Nuremberg Code in the UK. How do you like that? What, what about in Germany? Is it, can you get it there? Well, that's a good question. That's a good question. It, the, the note that we got seemed to indicate that this was uh, an EU thing as well, but I haven't gotten a, a message specifically from an EU customer, but this came from a British guy who had been keeping me up to date. And I thought, gee, that's so weird. How could they ban the Nuremberg Code? Because for people that don't know the book, it's just the Nuremberg, it's basically the Nuremberg Code. And we translated it, I think, to, into 12 different languages. I wrote a short introduction and then Vera Sharav gave a speech in Nuremberg at the 75th anniversary of the Nuremberg Code. And hmm. the transcript of her speech is in the book. So it's it's a, it's a small book. Is it a little controversial? Yeah, because she's a Holocaust survivor saying that what's going on vis-a-vis COVID it reminds her of the Holocaust, which she not only experienced, but is a scholar of. So Have you, um, have you thought about reaching out like to the... I don't know if they're cor- how corrupted they are, but the ADL. That's a whole nother kettle of fish. And in fact, she and I were talking about that today. And, you know, it's an, it's sort of an industry. And, you know, like all industries, it's controlled by the people that control it. And they pursue the agendas they want to pursue. And they don't pursue the agendas they don't want to pursue. And, you know, this, remember, Rick, Rich, this was the 75th anniversary of the Nuremberg Code and not a single Holocaust memorial 
organization in the world did anything to note or commemorate this important anniversary. Crazy. Did, yeah, I, I, you, I can all, yeah, go ahead. Deep, deep insight into it as to, I know, you know, the subject here is more COVID, but still, but um, do you have any more insight, insight into why? Like, did you approach any uh, Holocaust organizations to see well, if uh, they'd be interested? Well, oh, here's what, here's what we did uh, in October of last, of this year, October 15th, I sent a um, priority mail, which allows me to have a receipt. You know, I can see if it was delivered or not to about a hundred different groups. Some of them were Holocaust memorial groups with huge budgets and huge staffs and huge facilities. And we also sent the same letter to about 60 or 70 heads of medical ethics departments in the United States, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, University of Chicago, Emory, you know, all of them. Oh, and, the wow. letter, and the letter was friendly. It, it included a copy of the book. And I, and I said, basically, as you, as I'm sure you know, this is the 75th anniversary of the Nuremberg Code, perhaps the most important document in the field of medical ethics. Uh, to commemorate it, we published this commemorative edition and we're, and, and we're assembling a yearbook to show all the commemorative activity that took place in 19, in, in this year, 2022 to celebrate the 75th anniversary. If you'll send us what you did, we'll put it in the yearbook. It's a little tricky. We, and we sent it to the head of ethics at the CDC. We sent it to Tony Fauci's wife, who people may not know is the head of ethics for NIH. We sent it to the head of ethics for FDA. These are people, that's their job. Like, Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show. You should have asked him for, for Fauci's signature. That'd be hilarious. Ah, yeah, I'll say, we'd like a signed edition. So remember now, these are guys, that's their job. This is what they get paid for. Like, they don't have to do anything else in their life. They just show up on Monday and they have their 10-hour coffee break and then they clock out at 5 on Friday. And they're supposed to be medical ethicists. We only got one response we gave them until January, uh, excuse me, until December 15th to respond. And only one person had the courtesy to just even acknowledge. I mean, don't, don't you think if you, if, cause we're the only book, we are the only, uh, Nuremberg code book in existence. You, you can, there's some books about the Nuremberg code, but there's no book that you can buy that has the Nuremberg code in it in 12 languages. It just doesn't exist. Right. So you would what think, is, what does this, what does this tell you though? I mean, you know, it's something terrible is going on. These people have been corrupted, but what does it tell you? Well, you know, I, I got a, a, some insight into this, you know, after the, 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 the Nazi atrocities, which by the way, were administered by doctors and nurses and public health officials. They were involved in the Holocaust up to their elbows. And we, we talked about that, I think on a previous call, you know, one of, one of the things that the, the Nazis did very early on was they wanted to know who was a Jew. That was, they were very interested in that. And they made great databases, you know, early databases with the help of IBM equipment, by the way, and IBM advisors. 
And I think they even went so far as if you had a name that didn't appear Jewish, but you were Jewish, they made you, they assigned you a middle name that indicated that you were Jewish. So in other words, they wanted this early on, very early on, they want to know who the Jews were and where they were. And then the next thing they did was remove Jews from government jobs. I don't know if people knew that, but that was one of the preliminary steps. And so if you were working for a state university or a state public health organization or a state-run hospital and you were a Jewish doctor, you got a pink slip. You were done. And all those people were replaced with card-carrying Nazi party members who also happened to be MDs, profession that was most widely represented of all the professions in Germany during the Hitler Zeit were was were doctors. There were more card care. We're not talking about people that, you know, had to go along to get along. We're talking about people that, you know, had memberships and had their little armbands and goose stepped around. That there were more doctors percentage-wise than any other profession. So the very first roots of the of the Holocaust actually was the taking of infants from their parents on the pretext that we are going to give them special medical care in this special facility. And these were children that were born disabled and the parents were told they were going to get special care. And those kids were murdered. I mean, just flat out murdered. Um, They were either starved to death or they were given an injection that killed them. And then that was the beginning. And then they started uh, eliminating other disabled people. And that's where they worked out the the methodology of of gassing large numbers of people at the same time. They had about they had five centers scattered throughout Germany, and they basic and they had nurses and public health officials and doctors on board to identify likely candidates. And they took them on buses, and I don't think they, I don't think they used trains at the time. Uh, and they brought them to these facilities and gassed them and killed them. Uh, that was the beginning of the Holocaust. And a lot of the mechanics that they worked at the doctors, let's, let's be clear about this. Okay. Doctors, nurses, and public health officials did this. Okay. Not, you know, crazed Nazi, you know, ideologues, working MDs did this. As you're, as you're talking about this, I'm hearing COVID, 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 seeing all the well, and, we got, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and this is what, uh, this, someone I'm working with a lot now, Vera Sharav who's a Holocaust survivor, whose son was uh, killed by the pharmace- pharmaceutical industry. Basically, they were selling a drug that was very dangerous. They didn't disclose how dangerous it was. The doctors that were prescribing it had no idea what they were doing. And this kid took it and died. And then she did the research and because she was a librarian and a very educated, literate person. And she did the research and find out, my God, they knew this was a deadly drug and they kept selling it. And then she got into the history of it. And the deeper she got into it, the more she realized this is a continuation in a different form, the nature perversion of medicine in Nazi Germany in the, uh, you know, the Hitler time. So yeah, it's, uh, but it gets worse. It gets worse. So she's now doing a lot of co-shows with a guy named Scott Shira. And Scott was just sort of a regular entrepreneur guy. He had a great business building and maintaining ponds for for people with big you know land holdings you know you get an estate you want a pond you hire scott and he digs one and he maintains it for you so he had a nice little business there he has a daughter he had a daughter who had um uh what do they call that down syndrome she was pretty high functioning you know she could play the violin she could tell jokes you know she was she you know was beloved by the community and you know there was the COVID hysteria and he brought her she he thought she had covid all she had was uh, they did it was the oximeter test. They had a home oximeter, the thing you put on your thumb and oh, the pulse oximeter, yeah, pulse oximeter, and it showed ninety four. 
And of course, at the time, the news was telling everybody that anything under 95 and you were on death's door, which of course is bullshit. I had a cold the other day. I was at 94. I don't think I died. But anyway, he was going with the media, the, the media um, uh, narrative and brought her in and she came out in a box. Basically, they gave her drugs without his permission, without disclosure. And they kept ramping the drugs up and up and up and up. And uh, they kept asking for him to sign off on her being intubated. And he wouldn't. And uh, they finally threw him out of the hospital because he was asserting his parental authority in the matter. And then his daughter went and stayed with his, uh, you know, his other daughter went and stayed with his his daughter. And she went out to, they, they would not allow her to use the shower in, in the hospital. So she had to go home for a bit to take a shower. When she got back, her sister was dead. And when they looked through the records, um, they had been giving her uh, this, these tranquilizers and they had been upping, I think, but from where they started to where they ended, they, they had increased the, the dose seven times, sevenfold, sevenfold. And when he got the medical records, he noticed they were making constant references to the fact that she had Down syndrome. Well, there is there is nothing that 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 leads someone to having Down syndrome to being more likely to die of COVID. You know, they they, they by the way, if you do some googling, they try a lot of a, an inordinate number of people with Down syndrome quote died of COVID in hospitals, an inordinate number. I think four times the the average human being, uh, you were four times more likely. Could be higher. Sometimes I've seen it quoted higher, but it's it's a, it's a gargantuan thing. And they tried to say, well, you know, these Down syndromes people, they they live in in group homes, therefore they're more likely to spread disease. Well, his his daughter didn't live in a group home. So anyway, they they made great pains to identify her as a Down syndrome person and they made great pains to throw him out so he couldn't supervise her care and they were literally giving him her drugs without disclosure uh that have, you know, warnings of, of what they can do to you and and they in fact killed her. Um so the question is if four or five, or I've seen as high as 11 more time people, people with dis, um, developmental disabilities died of COVID, what, what actually happened? Cause this is, this is one case where it looks up, looks like just straight up medical murder. Um, so that, I mean, this yeah. is, sort of, yeah. My mom, my mom was, uh, you know, she had cancer and she was very sick and she ended up in a, you know, like a, a rehab facility and then they brought in COVID people, you know, due to the wonderful governor in New York mass murder himself. And uh, shortly after that, that was it. So I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I you know, we did this interview in, in 2020 in the summer with a nurse, and she was working in a uh, New York City public hospital, which a horror, horror show on the, under the best of circumstances. And she said categorically people came in, you know, young guy in his mid-30s came in with a panic attack. They intubated him, and uh, he died. You know, because intubation, I think we talked about this on previous calls. I mean, it's it's not a it's not a trivial matter. I mean, they have to give you all kinds of heavy duty painkillers, including fentanyl is one of the things they give people who are intubated. They have to give you a paralyt- paralytics, plural, so you don't move around and they have to knock you out. So you, and they don't just give you a pill once you're on a constant drip of each one of these substances. Right. And you're not you can't eat, obviously, because you're unconscious. It's a little bit like general anesthesia, except you're under for d- days or weeks. And, you know, just like under anesthesia, you need a competent, um, you know, in, in an operation, they have an, you know, doctor in, in when someone's intubated, they have a respiratory technician, but those people are very well trained and they had, they didn't have adequate respiratory technicians. Uh, so people were not being taken care of. And she said, you know, people would be 
you have to wean somebody off intubation too. You can't just yank the pipe and, you know, wake them up. You have to bring them up back slowly. And they were trying, you know, she during the day shift, because she knew what she was doing. She was a former military nurse, combat nurse. She knew what she was doing. She was a contractor. By the way, they were paid $10,000 a week the uh, by FEMA. Yeah. And a lot of the people that were in uh, in these hospitals as contractors had no uh, ICU experience at all. They were like, you know, the, the, the week earlier they were in Idaho, you know, as a semi-receptionist for a podiatrist office, right? Now they're a nurse in an ICU in New York City getting $10,000 a, a week. Hard to believe. That I have, that um, yeah, one question for you. The, one of the, I don't know why this, this bothers me more than many things, but all of a sudden, you know, early in the very, very beginning of this year, early end of last year, everything evaporated with COVID. It's like, you know, all the powers that be, at the same time, which shows to me orchestration even more, okay, we'll just stop. And all of a sudden, everything, everyone, you know, for the most part, stopped talking about it. It's like, all right, it's time. The, the charade's over. Stop. It just seemed very sudden and all over the place all at once. Well, you, you know, it, 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 I, I do. I mean, it was orchestrated from day one. And, and the music, you know, performance was over. And the musicians packed up their violins and flutes and cellos and went home. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that simple. And what did they replace it with? Uh, they replaced it with with uh, the Ukraine. I mean, literally, it was it was seamless. You know, people took down their um, get vaccinated signs and put up their Ukrainian flags. And you know, this is may may seem like a side issue, but it's it is related. Um, we, and you'll see how it's related in a second. You know, we the United States has been provoking Russia using NATO and using NATO wannabes like Ukraine for for a long time. You know, and really provoking them seriously. And, you know, people have to, countries have to maintain their, their border integrity. We don't seem to have to do that in the United States anymore, but, but other countries take it kind of seriously. And other countries get sensitive when you start mounting military forces on their border, which is what the Ukraine was doing, by the way. Everybody forgets that. And Russia finally said, okay, we, we can't have it anymore. And he, they went in. And there's no chance the, re- the Ukrainians are going to be able to withstand the Russian military. There's just no possibility. And there should have been some kind of a settlement early on, but obviously there isn't, and there's no talk about a settlement. So who's getting slaughtered? Ukrainian civilians, they're in the crossfire. And um, what's it all What's it all about? Well, every now and then you'll hear that we're sending them 10 billion, or now we're sending them 20 billion, and now 48 billion, and we're sending them Patriot missiles. And we're, we're sending them all the crap in our, our armament, mili- uh, armament inventory that doesn't work. Just Google Patriot missiles. They're crap. Nobody, you know, way back in the Iraq war, everybody was, oh, it's the greatest, greatest missile that ever lived. Well, start reading. This is pre-Ukrainian thing now. This has nothing to do with Ukraine. We're sent, we're, we're cleaning out our inventory. And what does that do? That creates the demand to, to refill our, you're going to hear in cer- certainly soon that we need to replenish our arms. Okay. So what we basically did was we used the Ukraine to plague and bother and harass and hopefully destroy our nemesis. I don't know why Russia's our, I don't know why the modern Russia is our nemesis, but that's a whole nother story. And then we are simultaneously using it as a means to uh, beef up the uh, arms industry again. But you, and, and here's where these things are connected. You, you could look at the, the reporting on the Ukraine and the reporting on COVID as basically long form infomercials, right? The goal in, in terms of, of, um, COVID was to sell vaccines. To me, that I don't know. It seemed just patently obvious to me from day one. But yeah. 
but so instead of an, inf- you know, instead of a tr- traditional half hour infomercial where you have, you know, some washed up celebrity talking about the wonders of the product and telling you to call an 800 number, they had a long form infomercial that started with the horrors of China and then the horrors of Northern Italy, then the horrors of New York and then the deaths and the this and the that and, and everybody, Hey, we got to lock ourselves away. I mean, it was, it was, it was a long form infomercial so that when the product was ready, everybody was ready to go out and, and get it unquestioningly. And so that's kind of what I, I see what's going on with the, the so-called reporting uh, of the Ukraine-Russia situation. We are just blithely sending, you know, billions and billions and billions of dollars. Uh, and a lot of it's being stolen. I mean, there was there were news reports about that and then they disappeared. But a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the aid just disappears down a black hole, you know? So it's, it, these are info, these are basically in, infomercials writ large in order to sell product in the case of COVID to sell vaccine in the case of Ukraine to uh, justify spending yet even more money developing and, and replenishing our, our weapons uh, supply. So that's how I, that's how I see these two things. Yeah, well, no, it just mystified me. Like all of a sudden, like you said, everyone packed up their stuff and went home. It's like, you know, again, I've seen montages of 30, 40, 50 world leaders saying the exact same thing and montages of 100 news channels saying literally the exact same thing. So I knew there was orchestration. But what scared me, like I said, is they all went away. I'm like, oh, no, now what? Why did they do this? They didn't do it because things are okay. They did it for a calculated reason. Now what's coming? Yeah, well, I think Ukraine, that's a, a train wreck, obviously, and more so in Europe than here, but we're feeling it too. They don't have gas and they have gas in storage. And so they're going to give be able to give the appearance of surviving. But when that storage is gone, there's nothing to replace it with. And so it's going to be, it's, Europe gets cold in the winter, especially, you know, Central Europe and Eastern Europe. I know. Um, you know, and, and Northern Europe, I mean, it gets really cold. So... Yeah, it's wild. But as soon as the one symphony ended, the movement of one symphony ended, they they literally automatically started up the other one, which is the uh, the Ukraine thing. And don't forget, now there is a connection. Ukraine, I believe, had over 50 different, they don't want to call them bioweapons labs, but biological research lab that are contracted by the United States. So who knows what is going on in that? I mean, it was known to be the most corrupt country in Europe. Uh, pre, pre. I'm well, sure it's only it's only wonderful things. You know, there's probably nothing nothing bad that's going on there. No, not at all. <laughs> and, and then also pre this problem, it was widely known and widely reported. And thanks to the magic of the internet, unless they erase all these articles, it was widely known their military is is saturated with neo Nazis. You know, I mean, we're kind of going off the COVID thing, but you know, people have to know that when you know the Nazis invaded uh, Ukraine and murdered a lot of people when they were there. And they had a lot of help from locals. So there are a lot of people running around whose grandfathers were concentration camp commandants and, and guards and so on. And some of them may have persisted in their attitudes. It's just a bad thing. So, so how do we respond instead of saying, Hey, civilians are getting killed. You know, people's lives are being destroyed. Let's, let's negotiate a peace settlement. Okay. The Russians are feel that they're, they're rush, they're, they're, Ethnic Russians are being ba- badly abused in the eastern provinces. Okay, we got to address that, you know. But nobody's addressing that. Nobody's addressing. I know. That. No one cares. Yeah. yeah. So, are, are you? Is it? I mean, are you disappointed in the public? The average person that, the average person that's running around, are you disappointed how easily 
misled they are or is it just par for the course or like what's you know again because you have so much experience with corruption what is your view on it now how has it changed put out another book this year i've been on a book publishing binge it's it's a lot of it's largely just taking things off my hard drive formatting them and putting them in book form but I put out a book called 78 Days of Terror, and it, it was about the attack on uh, Yugoslavia in, in the late 90s. And that shocked me when that happened, because Yugoslavia didn't attack us, didn't attack anybody. There were some civil disturbances in Yugoslavia. There were literal terrorists shooting police and bombing police stations. You know, and, and I think if that happened in this country, you would see a military crackdown like you wouldn't believe. So there were some things going on. but you know, it was an internal matter. And we responded by bombing the hell out of civilians in Serbia, in Kosovo, even a lot of uh, Kosovo civilians were killed. And here's my here's my point. And to answer your question, nobody seemed to care. The Democrats were all fine with it because Clinton was doing it. And the Republicans, you know, hey, every war is a good war. They weren't saying anything. And I thought, my God, we're like bombing a European country without justification and targeting hospitals, schools, bridges, food processing plants. And that went on for 78 solid days and nobody had a problem. And I, and I remember when that happened, this was 1999. I thought, wow, if they can do get away with that, what else are they going to do? So I think the public was pretty dulled and dumbed down long ago. You know, it's just, it took the bad guys a while to build up their courage to run truly large operations, you know, like the Iraq war, <laughs> another, another fraud. We took a less than savorily managed country, which many countries are not savory. <laughs> the management is not savory. And we decided we would completely disrupt every aspect of it militarily. Uh, for what purpose? I don't know. And we created a catastrophe there too. And uh, people were cheering that. They thought that was a great idea. So I don't know. People are, I, yeah, I, I don't know that I'm disappointed in people, but they need. They do need to be. They do what they're educated to, to do. So, I, I guess you know that's what I see as my you know job. I have other jobs, but but my this aspect of my life, I I see my my job is to try to educate those that want to be educated. And people are interested. There are people that are interested. A lot of people just. I mean, you have the the the. You know, for instance, I went out shopping today at the supermarket, and there's. I don't know, 20% of the people are still wearing masks. By the way, I was in Istanbul, population 20 million. I think we saw three people wearing masks and they were Japanese tourists. And I'm not even, I'm not exaggerating here. I just didn't see anybody wearing masks in all of Turkey. Oh, was- I believe you. I see it here in Texas. Yeah. It's, it's been like two, 3%. It got down real low and now the holiday is approaching and now it's back up to 10%. But yeah, you know, I, I call them, I guess, the hardcore mentally ill that are still wearing that stuff, but I still see it all the time. Well, they, you know, they've been, they were sold a narrative and they bought it and they haven't noticed that, that even the liars have given up on the narrative, but they still have it in their minds. You know, it's, it's tragic. So, so I think people do what they're educated to do and, and uh, not everybody has the time or the inclination to do lots and lots of research. And, and the problem with the, the COVID thing in particular was it was such a barrage of fraud. I think, you know, you put that, it's like you put out this fire and then there's another fire and then you put out that fire and there's another fire. I mean, these guys had it. And I mean, somebody should someday do a book. I'm not going to, but somebody should do a book on the daily. It was like the fraud of the day. Remember there was a thing called COVID toe. And then, yeah, I mean, right. There was all this stuff, COVID psychosis, 
that they tried to float that. They were trying to, back in May of 2020, they tried to claim that COVID was ravaging infants, killing infants by the score in New York. I mean, there was no level of, of prevarication that they wouldn't sink to. And it's exhausting. And, and, and they, you know, of course, they have all the resources in the world uh, to pack, package these stories. They have the distribution channel. So, and yet, so, so here's the positive thing. The positive thing is people have figured it out. A lot of people have figured it out. They may not be activists on it. But if you ask them, they'll go, yeah, that was a load of shit. Hey, here was something funny. I, I was in England. Hang on a second. I got to cough again. I was in England and the English are funny. They're, they're very, they're very easy to stampede, especially when you appeal to their, I don't know, communal feelings, you know, but when they realize they've been scammed, they, they get mad. And so when Boris Johnson, the prime minister was having, you know, mask free parties during the middle of the lockdown and that became news that really broke the spell to a large degree in england uh and and what's weird though is the people in in, in the united states were doing the same thing and they, you know gavin oh, yeah, Newsom, here it didn't, you know, yeah it didn't seem to do anything crazy. it didn't people weren't outraged uh you know dan kennedy is a, a, men, a mentor and, a, and a, a a guy that's educated both of us he wrote this thing a long time ago he says americans are pretty forgiven Forgiving, you know, they'll, they'll accept a lot of shit. And it's not so much so in, in, it wasn't in England when they saw Boris Johnson and he's gone. He lost, he lost his power base, his, his position. He's finished politically. I mean, maybe they'll resurrect him someday, but that was the end. But, you know, Gavin Newsom, I mean, they did try to, to recall him, but, and they, they might have succeeded, but they didn't. Well, you can't, there's no honest election. Of course, it didn't work. You know? That's my they, next book. They, they, they said uh, Larry Elder was the black face of white supremacy. That was one article I saw. So when they Ooh. when they Larry, Larry Elder ran against uh, oh uh, right right a, a, a sensible articulate man. He's is, an African is, yeah he's a black guy and, and African American guy and yeah. and the news literally that's what I saw them say he's the black face of white, of white supremacy. Uh, so. Yeah. Look, it's just there's no rationality here. Well, that's a whole nother issue. I mean, the lunatic left, uh, which really is gotten lunatic. You know, they they were the foot soldiers for for this whole COVID thing. They were the ones that were activated and went out and you know demanded that people get vaccinated and demand that people wear masks. And I mean, they're off their rockers, clearly, clearly. But but again, in my book, uh, my book called Seventy Eight uh, Days of Terror about the attack on Yugoslavia under uh, Clinton, when you read all the things that happened during the Glass-Steagall Act, which is sort of the foundational mm. firewall in that kept things from blowing up in on Wall Street for decades, that was that was disintegrated, that was demolished during during Clinton. Um, this I, I didn't know, but I, I learned recently there was this vaccine court uh, that was created because mm. this was way back, I think, during the uh, during the Ford administration. And I think, I think 40 people died of this, uh, swine flu vaccine and they immediately pulled it. Now we don't, yeah. I mean, now we have thousands and thousands and thousands of, uh, death reports on the VAERS, the vaccine adverse events database. Recording system. Yeah. Yeah. Recording system. And, um, they, they're not even, they're not, there's no sign they're going to pull these things. In fact, they're trying to push them on infants. But in any event, there was, at, when that happened, the the pharmaceutical industry said, look, we're not going to make vaccines for you because our liability is too high. So the government said, look, we'll take over the liability. How's that? And they said, fine. And so they set up a vaccine court. And basically, if you had a vaccine injury, you would go through the special court. Right. 
And that was actually working very well. And people were bringing their, their injuries and, and their deaths. The, the, the heirs were bringing the deaths and people were getting compensated. And then Bill Clinton became president and they completely gutted that system and they turned it into an adversarial system whereby instead of attempting to, you know, really hear the case and, and, and just decide it on its merits, the uh, Department of Justice attorneys, because that's who you're fighting. If you have a vaccine injured child or if you're, or if you're vaccine injured and you sue, sue for damages, the other side is the Department of Justice. OK, yeah, and, and they and they were given the, in, the the green light to become intensely antagonistic to anybody that filed a claim that happened under Bill Clinton. So the left, the liberal world of which I would have I would have classified myself as really turned to the worst dramatically during the Clinton administration. But then, of course, we had Bush for four years. And, you know, I guess I don't know, we weren't paying attention to how rotten our own structure was. But it's pretty rotten. I mean, you know, we could the slaughter, the butchering of children now in the name of gender fluidity. I mean, what's the cause here? The cause is that I don't know what it is, but they're fighting to allow children that can't even drive or, or drink legally to make irrevocable changes to their body surgically and chemically uh, without. Hey, why, the, why do you think this is happening? It just, you know, it, it just seems like literally evil is just out there everywhere i i started feeling that at the beginning of the scandemic but like what what are your thoughts yeah and they've and they've they've weaponized all these fuzzy-headed liberal people that don't think things through i mean obviously you shouldn't discriminate against a human being because of you know something that doesn't doesn't affect others but that's been morphed into oh if if a child has been brainwashed by a psychologist that he's really a girl or she's really a boy well, we should allow that child to make a decision to, I mean, these surgeries that these kids are getting are gruesome. I mean, I don't want to, yeah. I mean, I don't want to talk about it, but it's obvious what you need to do if you're going to change a boy into a girl and yeah. a girl into a boy. Well, I mean, I do know that that the pharmaceutical industry has a hand in this because they lost a tremendous amount of revenue when women woke up and realized that hormone replacement therapy was not only a scam, it was also a dangerous scam. And so instead of it being something that women did reflexively, now they don't do it anymore. So all the, all those hormone replacement and hormone drug factories and expertise had to be deployed somewhere. And so it looks like they're trying to deploy them by hooking a gen. Because, you know, once you decide you're going to change your sex, you don't just take a pill. You're on the, the hormone thing forever. So yeah, you start into the medical industry. They love yes. them. Yeah. So you start at 12 instead of uh, 52. So I brushed up against a little of this when I was trying to help clinicians who were working with autistic children, and they have a really difficult road because there's not supposed to be any autism caused by vaccines. So if you're a clinician, you have to pretend that when a child who was functional at two suddenly is unable to speak or look people in the eye or interact after a bad reaction to a vaccine, you're not allowed to talk about that. And anyone that does is targeted. And there are armies of people who are, I, I think they're, they're being paid, who are posing as um, good citizens who will attack. They'll, they'll all gang up on and attack an alternative health practitioner, not because the alternative health practitioner is doing anything wrong, but because they are uh, challenging the, the, um, the autism narrative. So I saw that. I saw that 
and and who would be paying for that? And I don't know if I don't know if we ever got into this on, on previous calls, but you know the the uh, the guy that owns the Times of London, which is a very influential newspaper, not only in London or in England, but in the entire world, is Rupert Murdoch. Mm-hmm. And Rupert Murdoch is very involved with Gla- Glasgow uh, Smith Klein, uh, so much so that his idiot son, who has no qualifications at all to have such a position, was put on the board of that company. And as soon as that happened, all of a sudden, the Times of London was uh, attacking alternative autism clinicians and celebrating the attackers. Uh, people that, I mean, it's just unreal. I documented the whole thing. It was mind boggling. So let's talk about AIDS too, because that's a related thing. There were organizations that were supposedly pro-gay and gay rights and, you know, all that, who were just advocating for instant heavy drugs uh, for, for AIDS. You know, they, they were the ones that were, they were the ones that were pushing AZT, which killed hundreds of thousands of people before it was finally withdrawn. And, and then some of these guys that were these revolutionaries of that movement are now ending up with professorships at Yale and MacArthur Genius Awards. The people that are doing what they're, what they're, what they're doing know what their agenda is. They have a plan for achieving it. They have all the money in the world to do it. They weaponize uh, activists. They weaponize uh, liberals. They co-opt the news media. There was a time when the prescription... So they were recommending that that in order to protect themselves from AIDS, gay men should take, you know, huge doses of antibiotics permanently, and you know, which is really ridiculous. And which, by the way, was one of the contributing factors to the early AIDS epidemic. Um, there was, and every every group has a has a minority within the group that's kind of crazy, and drinks too much, and does too much drugs, and engages in you know all kinds of uh, self destructive behavior. And there was a yeah. minority. There was a minority of people in the gay male community who fit that profile and they did heavy drugs and they partied every night and they did, they, they inhaled something called poppers, which heterosexuals t- tend not to do, um, for various reasons. And poppers happen to be an intense immunosuppressive and the diseases that were the original two diseases of AIDS. One was, and this, by the way, all this is in my book, Unraveling the COVID Con, which might be why it was the number one uh, new release in the AIDS category on uh, Amazon, by the way, because I have a whole Mm. section on that. But anyway, the very first, now like 29, literally 29 different diseases are now called AIDS. Diseases that existed before AIDS that haven't, uh, 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 origin that's known so they've all been pulled into the tent they've all been if you've got this now you have aids right but the original two things that would lead you to be called an aids patient were one was carposis sarcoma Mm -hmm. normally which is normally on the skin and it's it it is a it's typically a disease of elderly mediterranean men you know guys that have been in the sun too long but these young guys youngish guys were getting it in their nasal passages and their lungs okay now that's weird. Well, not if you're snorting or not if you're huffing a immunosuppressant five, six, seven, eight times a night, five, six, seven days a week, which says what some of these guys were doing, mm. right? So CDC knew this drug is an immunosuppressant and, and they knew it was dangerous and they deliberately made a firewall between the use of that drug and the and the development of the AIDS syndrome. Because AIDS isn't even a disease, it's a syndrome. It's a It's a like a diagnostic picture and you go, you must have AIDS. So the other, the other disease that was associated with AIDS in the early days was a, uh, like a a fungal growth in the lungs. 
again, if you're huffing an immune suppressant multiple times a night, multiple times a week for years on end, maybe yeah. something weird is going to happen to your nasal passages <laughs> and lungs, right? It could just right, happen, yeah, exactly. right? For, for whatever reason, these guys were held up as as martyrs and martyrs to the, the evil. The prejudice and bias against homosexuals was, which is a true, which was a true thing, uh, especially back then, was then somehow morphed into, oh, these guys that wrecked themselves with partying and developed pretty bad, predictably, predictable diseases from what they did. Well, these guys are martyrs to, to a cruel medical system. So we got to get them drugs, you know? And so they, 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 they weaponized groups like APGUP to march around and say, you know, basically we need drugs, you know? Um, yeah. And the drug that they gave these guys, AZT, was a drug that had been developed for, for chemotherapy for cancer. And it was so toxic that it was pulled, not only pulled, it was banned for human use. You couldn't even use it for experimentation. And then somehow, magically, it was discovered that it supposedly helped AIDS patients use authorization. And they ran this drug into the gay population and where you had a few thousand young guys you know, and if you look into the history, I think someone did a study and of the early generation, the first years, all those guys had had were using poppers, were using drugs. Then there was a mass die off of, of guys. Those were the guys that were given AZT and they blame those deaths on AIDS and, and the symptoms of AZT poisoning because AZT is a carcinogen and it's a mutagen are the same symptoms that you would attribute to somebody who had AIDS. So in other words, they gave a, a drug, they forced through this drug that they knew was dangerous using activists as their front, and they persuaded millions of people to take this drug, and hundreds of thousands of them died. So are people dumb? Well, you know, they are fooled. They are fooled by professionals who are very crafty at what they do and know what they're doing. You can see all this in my film, um, Fauci's First Fraud. I don't know. Yeah, I watched yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. So I guess, am I disappointed in people, you know, to go back to your original question, for being fooled so easily? I mean, I don't know. You know, we human society depends on survival, depends on it not being run by destructive psychopaths. Human society depends on trust and cooperation. Well, do, you, do you think that, you know, the powers that be are going to be able to cover up the uh, the vaccine devastation? Just like well, it's you a, said, ACT was I mean, blamed on AIDS. I mean, well, you know, are. I mean, it's an interesting thing. They, there are people that are aware that the AIDS thing was a fraud, but they're few and far between. And most people think that AIDS was this virus that devastated the gay community and uh, Fauci saved the day. I mean, it's just so I mean, there, there is a drug now. I don't know if you know this, that they are telling young gay men to get on prophylactically so that they don't get AIDS. Right. So they're getting these. So you're 18 years old. And, and and if you're in a certain, you know, demographic and a certain city, I remember before COVID, there's a you you know, New York City. So there's this long mm -hmm. there's this long hallway tunnel between the fourth street, West Fourth Street train station and the street. It's long. It's right. like 100 yards and it's lined with ads. Well, it's also near Christopher Street and, and where the gay community is. Every ad, this is pre-COVID, was these drugs that they were trying to convince young men to just get on. Just get on them. You're 18, you're gay, get on the drug, and this will prevent you from getting AIDS. It's big money. It's huge money. We don't have our, our public uh, uh, health 
officers have been completely co-opted. And that was a function of AIDS, by the way, because if anybody in that profession dared to say, hey, is it a, is it a virus, a random virus that's killing people, or is it uh, uh, environmental and lifestyle things? Because the other group of people that got AIDS a lot were intravenous drug users. And, you know, you could say, well, it was the virus from dirty needles. Well, could the, could the idea that you are injecting substances of un, chemical unknown origin into your veins 10 to 15 times a day, seven days a week, perhaps contribute to an immune system problem? I mean, it's, it's like, yeah. if no, you just, it couldn't be that. No, no, it couldn't be that. It couldn't be that. In fact, for, yeah, yeah. There's like all these people that, you know, like 900 something athletes have died over the past two oh. years because, you know, we all know athletes are out of shape and old and unhealthy. You know, they're not they're not paragons of health by any means. Of course, they die suddenly. It's well, just, that's yeah. I mean, I mean, how how how, you know, and, and then, you know, newscasters passing out on on uh, right on live TV. Uh, there's that one, that unbelievable one with a comedian, the, the woman mocking people that were afraid of the vaccines. And she's saying, I'm getting them all, you know. And then she starts looking goofy and then she literally fell over and cracked her head on the floor and everybody thought it was physical humor. No, she actually <laughs> passed out cold. Um, and yeah, some, and, and a lot of people that are having vaccine injury. I mean, the, the, what we see on the VAERS reports are only the people that A, re- had a, re- felt they were injured and B, managed to navigate the maze and get the report filed. It's not. A lot I of people. Numbers, by the way, and, and literally over the past year plus, they've barely moved. So I think they have watered down or almost even completely stopped reporting. All of a sudden, over the past month and a half, I saw the, the VAERS deaths go up. But I have a shirt that I printed up January 20, I mean, some early 2021, and the numbers are almost the same. So from what I could see, they, they literally just stopped reporting to that database just about. And all of a sudden, they're reporting a little bit again. It's interesting. There's a woman named Jessica Rose, a scientist who happens to be in Israel right now working and Jessica Rose. And, uh, she, she's probably the best person on that subject. Um, and of course she's been banned from everything and she's a real scientist, you know, full serious scientist. She's, a, she's interesting. She's a, she's a, she's a bench scientist. Like she can do all the lab work, but she's also a, an accomplished um, data cruncher as well. She just happens to have had trainings in both. So she's like the perfect, perfect person to be um, analyzing this. And she's doing good analysis. I mean, the main thing she's reporting is the numbers are unprecedented. So if, if anybody's listening that doesn't know, there's that, that data, that record system was put in place in the nineties. I'm thinking, I don't know, whatever it was, 90s or 80s, more people have reported adverse reactions to the uh, COVID vaccines than all the vaccinations administered since the beginning of the VAERS record keeping. Yeah, so, yeah. so, the, so you have all these different vaccines given to hundreds of millions of people over decades, and that's a small number. And then the, the number of people that have been reported injury or death from the COVID vaccines is huge. And, you know, theoretically, we're not allowed to even be talking about this. I don't know if YouTube, for example, if you try to syndicate this conversation on YouTube, just simply saying what's in the VAERS database could get you get your video removed. Yeah, YouTube's one of the worst censorship platforms right now. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and you know there, there's something. You now, why is that? People don't know. Google's in the pharmaceutical business. They've been in the pharmaceutical business for a long time. They have they have they have their own pharmaceutical ventures. 
They have shares, you know, of significant holdings in pharmaceutical companies. They have advertising relationships and, and joint ventures with pharmaceutical companies that, you know, individual ones may be worth a billion dollars a year, just one single relationship. So for all practical purposes, Google is should be called a tech forward slash pharma company. And that may that may explain their their vicious suppression. So that's the other thing, too, when you say, well, are people are you disappointed in people? Well, given how hard companies like Google and Twitter, we now know what Twitter was doing. Good Lord. Right. And Facebook, they were not only, um, you know, not telling the truth. They were pretty viciously suppressing anybody that was telling the truth or trying to tell the mm. truth or even trying mm. to ask questions. So, yeah, no, so, so I think the bigger problem is we have a we have a large group of psychopaths in charge. And this is why to bring this full circle. Yeah, we don't have people goose stepping in the streets. We don't have the Nazi flag waving on Fifth Avenue. But functionally, functionally, these people have the the morals of Nazis. You know, in other words, might makes right. And their word is law. You know, you do do what you're told. But, but how could that be? I mean, how how could people become like this? And again, what what I don't know. What's the solution? There's never yeah, I know, right? BS. I mean, what what well, do you so, see? What can people so, do? So solution is shows like this, and for people to be informed, and for people to you know find like minded people and share this information with them. Um, there, it would be good to see some organizing. You do see that in Europe. You see huge demonstrations. We we've yet to have a demonstration of any meaningful size in this country, which is. Which, well, is, I guess it's par for the course. I don't know. You know, we're, we're not a demonstrating country anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, you just keep documenting, keep educating. I have some interesting, pro- you know, new projects in the works. I'm, I'm, if all goes well, I'm going to have a short book, uh, called the Nuremberg Code. It's, um, and it's modern enemies. And I'm going to document the fact that the people in the medical ethics business seem to be in on the scam. Have you, have, has there been any, um, you know, group that you've, publicized that has like seriously attacked you or have you ever been uh really pushed to your limits you know is anyone going after you or you're not big enough i'm not big enough you know i did get quite a bit of material into robert kennedy robert kennedy jr's book and i was really i was pretty involved in promoting it um the publisher only expected to sell two hundred thousand copies in a year and they sold a million in the first two months uh and, and i was you know shirt sleeves rolled up working on that part of it um, but he's certainly attacked. Um, mm. I think I, I think they wait until somebody gets public traction or until their work gets public traction, and then they attack that person. Um, they also support weird stuff. Like there was a film that came out recently, "Sudden Death." Is that the name of it? Oh, died suddenly. <laughs> died suddenly, and it, and you know it has some good material, but whoever made it either accidentally or deliberately mixed it with some ludicrous things, and it, it always makes me suspicious. And the other thing that made me suspicious about that particular film is that film was not really, it, it was allowed to run for quite a while before they started shutting it down. And you have to wonder about that when you see something get huge traction uh, in, a, in an era of total censorship, you have to wonder how and why. And then when you look at the actual content and say, oh, well, this is kind of, this kind of serves the other side because they can take this reality, and the reality is there have been a lot of sudden deaths. There are a lot of incongruous heart problems cropping up among the vaccinated. That's right. the truth. But when you mix, when you put some bad things in the film that are unsupportable, then people go, "Well, look at what, look at that. It's you can't believe anything they say." 
you know, the, the, I, I'm not saying the CIA is doing this, but but this is something that the CIA specializes in creating books or films. Mm. Sometimes what they'll do is create a film that's 100% true, and then they'll bury the falsehood that they want to sell in the film, and then it just gets accepted. And it, it appears the other thing they do is they'll they'll put a, they'll put they'll support a media product that could be electrifying, but they make it weak in the way that I've described by putting in information that's obviously wrong and easily <laughs> criticized. I just I just wonder about that. I, I I've I brought this up before, and and. Uh, the fellow that was on every single podcast in the world talking about mass psychosis, the uh, the guy from uh, right. Holland. It, what's so yeah, weird? Mass, about that? Uh, huge. I forget his name, but yeah. Yeah. Um, what was two things weird about him? One, he got tremendous exposure, and I, I'm sure you've got experience, and I've got the experience. Podcasts are not real receptive to anybody. Like if you're not already one of their buddies, or they haven't. Se- actively sought you out because you you're already getting traction somewhere else they don't really mm-hmm. want to hear with you they don't really want to hear you so the fact that he got a lot of traction so fast is is kind of interesting but the other thing that's so weird about him is that he talks about a real phenomenon but he neglects to talk about the fact that you can induce that phenomenon and that it it takes a a a controlled news if you have a controlled news media you can induce uh, mass psychosis in a population mm-hmm. right and that was demonstrated with the old War of the Worlds recording um, performance, radio yeah. performance, right? If people don't know that, our Orson B, Orson Welles did a, uh, a. He wasn't trying to scare people. He was. It was a. It was a drama, and they did a like a like a fake docu series, but in radio form in, ni- in the 1930s. On mm. uh, I think it was on Halloween, and. In this docu series, the Martians land in in Grover Mills, New Jersey, and they, 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 their laser cannon is blasting people, and 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 people who tuned in and didn't know it was done very realistically, and people who tuned in who didn't know it was a uh, fiction thought it was real, and there was mass hysteria, and that be, that was something absolutely studied intensely by spooks and CIA people, uh, mm. you know. You know, the whole institute was founded at Princeton to study the that phenomenon. So there are people that are well aware of the enormous power that the mass media exerts and can exert. Um, So anyway, that this guy is on every single podcast talking about the disease of mass psychosis, but never talking about the fact that it's something deliberately induced by media programming. That I found very interesting, too. So. That's kind of a little bit. If I'm discouraged about one thing, it's that the 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 world of podcasters, not you, you're a rare one. They don't want to get into the the real meat. They wanna they want to just brush on the surface and talk about you know whatever is acceptable. To, they'll they'll talk about whatever is acceptable on the edges to talk about, but they won't go into the hardcore stuff that we're talking about today or that we talked about two years ago. I think the problem though is a lot of you know. I, I, I support my own podcast. I mean, I do have some advertising, but I don't depend on it. How much of these doctors, nurses, media people, podcasters, et cetera, they're just afraid, you know, hey, if I don't do this, I'm not going to make money. I can't feed my family, so I'm going to go along. And they find themselves doing more and more despicable things. And by that time, I don't know what's going on in their mind, but they're just so compromised that they just keep going, maybe, and hoping that things will be okay. Like, What do you think is the mindset of these people that, have done these terrible things either through pressure or their own free will. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know whether, you know, it could just be mental laziness, you know, because if you, when you look at certain high, 
profile podcasters, they're not digging too deep, you know, Hmm. they're just, they're just not, they look and see what, what's, where's the buzz occurring. And then they'll get the person on who's already got a buzz. They won't actually say, okay, who's doing really good work in this. Let me find that person. They don't, they don't do that. They don't do that. So I don't, I just, it it might be a combination of laziness might be, you know, might, might be fear too. You're right. I mean, what do you, yeah. What do you think happens with a, you know, a doctor or a nurse that, Again, it's their job, their career. They're starting to see that, uh, you know, the stuff they're doing is killing people. Uh, what do you think is going on in their mind? Like who continues and who stops and, and why? Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting d- d- dynamic because if, if they do speak up, they will lose their jobs. I mean, that's just that's been and, and, and that's where we had the parallel to Nazi medicine. Uh, it, now, it's not a perfect example, not a perfect comparison. But if you if you were a Jew of Jewish ancestry, uh, you were basically removed from medicine by by the Nazis. And in, in our era, if you question the pharmaceutical agenda, which is to put as many drugs in you as they possibly can, um, you will lose your job and you will be replaced by a hack. And, that, and that's that's a that's a frightening thing. The, the best of all professions, the, the people with the highest integrity are being driven out and mm. the people with low or no integrity and little little real capacity or skill are getting positions that they really shouldn't have because they're not they're not even capable of them but that is the that, that is an exact comparison of how not german medicine was perverted remember germany was the epitome it was the pinnacle of medical science mm. until until the nazis took over if you wanted to be a great surgeon in the United States, in at the turn of the century, you went to Germany to train. You know, there's, oh yeah, no, I mean Germ- Germany led the world. In fact, Germany even led the world in medical ethics. One of the first uh, coherent statements in, yeah. of, of medical ethics in the modern era was promulgated by a German doctor. Um, so they had a great system, and the system was gutted by this. Hey, we got to we're going to figure out who the Jews are, and then we're going to catalog catalog them and know their names and know where they live and then after we've done that then we're going to start removing them from they remove them from government right and, that, and that's the other yeah. thing too right government uh, our government the german government has this ability to wave a magic wand and make a lot of stuff happen very fast mm. right so if you're a government let's say if for instance remember if you were a con- company that had a hundred employees or more therefore you were somehow under the government's you know, regulation, you were, they said it wasn't actually legally true. You could, companies could have fought it and some did, but they, they tried to create the illusion that the federal government could dictate to anybody who employed more than a hundred people that their employees had to get the vaccine. So governments, you know, especially now, I mean, most people work for the government now. I mean, between the school teachers and the cops and the and the and the and the firemen and the and the county executive office and i mean it's a ridiculous percentage of american people are getting a you know a government paycheck and so they are all under the thumb of you know one entity it's not a monolith it's like upton sinclair said uh, you know i'm paraphrasing but if a man's job depends on him not understanding a concept uh he's not going to do it or his salary depends upon it there you go and, yeah. and and if speaking up, I mean, I'll tell you, I, I worked um, when I was younger, long ago, um, 
I worked on Wall Street. I worked for an uh, investment bank called um, uh, First Boston, no longer in business. Um, but they were a big deal. And when I worked there, I can't, I didn't really spread. I didn't really talk about controversial things around the water cooler. You know, and it was obvious that nobody, nobody wanted to hear it. And it was not going to be good for your long-term uh, prospects if you did. So yeah. you just, so you self-censored. I mean, I, I, you know, I have a certain amount of sympathy for doctors. I mean, they, they, they sacrifice their youth in college by being, you know, total, you know, pre-med nerds. Uh, then they, they battle their way into um, medical school and medical school is challenging. Then they go through these, this nightmarish, uh, insane, uh, hazing, hazing process right after they're, after they become doctors. Now they're in debt up to their eyeballs. They can't do anything else because they've spent the last, what, from 14, mm. from 14 to 34 on a single track. They mm. do have a, they do have this license to print money. MD, you can always get employed somewhere pretty easily, even if you're incompetent. And so, you know, wow, what do you do? <laughs> you're kind of, you're really, you're really boxed into a corner. Um, and, and, but, you know, now some of them, well, and, and by the way, it's getting harder and harder to be independent. I mean, there used to be a lot of um, solo practitioner doctors. That's going the way of the horse buggy. You know, everybody's part of a medical group. Um, and those places are as Nazi as it gets, you know, so... So, so what, what do you think? What do you think's ahead for the next? Uh, I don't know. Ten years. I know it's hard to even see out that far, but you just see these these scams growing and growing and growing until literally things crack apart. Or where do you think we're headed? Well, things are kind of cracking apart. I mean, there's there's a I saw a really interesting interview with a like an investment man. I, I mean, it's, I'm understating to say he's an investment manager because he had something like 18 billion dollars under his management. So he's not, you know. He's not Joe down at the local Merrill Lynch office, right? He's he's like a hardcore guy, and he's setting up a a, a fund that basically is pacing is placing a bet that this demographic disaster that's been caused by by the vaccines is going to just play out, and it's going to wreck some industries and boost other industries. You know, no, I don't know where it's like where you are, but I mean, people can't find people to work. I mean, it's getting harder and harder to find people who who can work or want to work or I guess are alive to work. I mean, you know, where did all these people go? That's true. Yeah. What are they doing? Where do they go? How can they live without working? Yeah. yeah. That's another question. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and he he makes the point that one of the most dangerous demographics to be in in terms of excess death in America was to be an employed person during the uh, vaccine blitz. So many people got the vaccine in, as a condition for keeping their employment. There was, I think, a 40% uh, excess deaths in that demographic during the, um, the vaccine push. So in other words, in other words, if you were, if you were, um, a, 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 and, and normally people that have jobs are considered good uh, life insurance risks. So if you're in your thirties or forties, you know, you work it every day, you probably have pretty good habits. Uh, you, you're not staying home boozing all day, right? You're out there working and interacting somehow. Um, and so that's been always a cash cow for the life insurance business, right? Uh, you're basically selling life insurance to people who are probably not going to die. Well, that's the tables have been turned. Now that demographic had had massive more higher excess death rates than any other demographic people who are should have been in the best of health 
What changed in the last two years? They all got vaccinated multiple times with this experimental thing. I don't even, you can't even call it a drug. You can't even call it a vaccine. We haven't even defined what, what this, these mRNA injections are. Like I, I bet, I bet, I, and I'd be willing to bet real money. You could stop a hundred doctors who administer these vaccines and ask on the street and ask them, A, what's in it? B, how is it? How do you say it works? Not even how does it work? Oh, I know. They have no idea. They have no idea. They have no idea. They're injecting things into people's veins. And and by the way, that's a whole nother thing. You know, to give a, to give an inject something like this properly, it's supposed to be injected into the muscle, not into the veins, right? And in order not to to do that, you're supposed to what they call aspirate the needle. You're supposed to inject it. You're supposed to put the needle in the skin and then pull the plunger back. And if blood comes out, it means you hit mm. a capillary or a vein or something. Mm. Um, then you have to find. You have to try again. That's what they did in Asia. They didn't do it in the United States. In fact, the CDC oh, had on their had on their website that you don't have to worry about, right? Because they wanted to vaccinate so many people so fast. They trained and put a bunch of monkeys uh, vaccinating people. They didn't want to make it complicated. So in order to not make it complicated, they had people doing the wrong thing. And it's very possible that some of the people that have had some of the worst adverse reactions to these vaccines are people that got basically a hot shot, like straight into the into their blood system. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the CDC, even though Taiwan and China and all these other places told their practitioners to be careful and make sure you aspirate the injection, make sure you inject into the muscle. The U.S. deemed the U.S. and Fauci and the CDC and the FDA and whoever else was involved went out went out of their way to tell clinicians and practitioners that they didn't have to they don't have to worry about it. I mean, utter madness. But that's what they did. Now, why did they do it? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, hmm. you know, did 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 they was it their intention to disable a, and kill a huge portion of productive American society. Um, I hope not because then we're in, we're in, but, but whatever, whatever their intention was, they succeeded injuring, killing and disabling um, a big chunk of America's productive working class people. And yeah, we know I, that. I, know, I, know, I know I've asked you this before, but who do you think is really the, the top puppet masters that are orchestrating all of this? And who do you think is just being kind of, you know, forced to come along with it? I don't know. I really, I do know that, that there, there's a lot, Fauci is a lot more connected to the, the Pentagon and, and the whole defense industry than is obvious. And, and I do know that these guys have powerful tools. In other words, when they deem it valuable to start a war, they do co-opt the news media and the news media always falls into line and always just go in the direction that the Pentagon, i.e. the defense industry, wants to go. And then they discover, wow, that was a really bad idea to invade a, a Iraq and try to and, inv- and, and Afghanistan and try to occupy it. That really didn't go very well. I guess we need to stop. So in other words, the, I guess what, I think what we have are people with tremendous power to do things. I mean, individually, they may be, you know, pathetic, but because of their position, they have, they can wield tremendous power and they are doing things that benefit their sponsors, the defense industry in the case of starting wars and the pharmaceutical industry in the case of vaccines, you know, selling dangerous, pushing, forcing, coercing people into taking dangerous vaccines. So I think it starts with, hey, we want to make more money. Hey, 
let's start a war or hey let's take let's find a, a cause and then let's use the powers we have to to you know push it on everybody and and there's a machine you know and it's well oiled and there's a lot of people d- deriving nice paychecks from it every day of the week um, pr firms um, behavioral consultants advertising agencies um and you know the ad agency someone knocks on their door and says here's 10 million dollars we need an ad campaign to persuade mothers to vaccinate their babies and they go yes sir and they make the you know and and nobody thinks gee is that a good thing yeah. i mean i mean if 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 a, if a nazi showed up in nazi regalia and said i want you to do <laughs> advertising you know denouncing jews people would hopefully would say no but but that's because they know, <laughs> you know, now they know we, that's not a good thing. Um, yeah. but, but, but let's not forget too. There are a lot of industrialists and, and regular people, but a lot of industrialists were really down with the, not with, were down with Hitler, especially in the thirties. They, they thought he was their salvation because they didn't like all the labor movements that were taking place in Europe and the United States. And they liked a strong man that was going to quash all that stuff. So GM and Ford and, uh, Chase Manhattan Bank and uh, IBM and Coca-Cola and uh, oh, uh, Pratt Whitney and all those countries uh, companies contributed massively to the German war machine buildup in the 1930s. You couldn't have had the Blitzkrieg without General Motors and Ford. Hmm. Couldn't have had. I mean, you need you got to have you know everything's logistics. You needed the engines, you needed the technology, yeah, yeah. You needed, and all that came from GM and and, and Ford. I mean, Hitler gave Ford a, or somebody, maybe it was Hitler, but it was somebody gave Henry Ford a, a medal of honor. Um, yeah. So it's money. I think it's money. And, and oh, by, by the way, uh, Mein Kampf is, uh, is available on Amazon, but unfortunately not the Nuremberg code. Well, no, in the U.S. you can buy it. In the, in the UK, U.S., yeah. <laughs> in the U.K. you can't. Yeah. <laughs> well, how about Elon Musk discovered that, that all the, this child trafficking stuff was just running amok on Twitter and nobody could get a handle on it, but by God, they could censor every doctor and scientist, including Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford scientists that were questioning the science of COVID that they could do. They couldn't manage to, 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 uh, police blatant child exploitation on their platform. So that, that's interesting, right? Hmm. It's We live in corrupt times. Yeah. So what, um, for your new book on COVID, the COVID con part two, what, what do you uh, expect that readers will get from reading this? It shows a lot of the things that we've talked about, you know, the, the, the fact that th- there is a, there are a lot of parallels between science and medicine under the Nazis and science and medicine under pharma. It just goes into that in greater depth. We talk about the great AIDS scam and how many of the same players, including Fauci, who ran that scam, ran the COVID scam, literally the same people with the same playbook. That's in there. I deconstruct the great flu of 1918 and I showed that it was, and no, I, and I think I'm the only person that's really done this credibly. Some people are on that topic, but they kind of go off on wild tangents. I just look at the facts and the facts, if you just look at the facts, the plain facts do not add up. And, and that 1918 thing is an important story because that was the one, the big one that we've all been waiting for and worried about for the last hundred plus years. Like the big one's going to come. It's going to come. We better be ready. All right. Oh, it's COVID. It's the big one. It's the one we've been waiting for. But what if there really wasn't a big one? What if there, what if that so-called flu epidemic 
was really just a byproduct of just social, the social catastrophe that the societal catastrophe that was World War One. I. I mean, I point out uh, that food was so scarce in Europe during World War One that in Germany alone, there were 300 recorded food riots. Hmm. Okay. I've never heard of a food riot in a developed country in my entire life, in my, my, my life. Yeah. Imagine, imagine, and those are just the ones that were reported. Imagine how bad it had to have been for there to be 300 food riots. People were starving. So if you're starving and you're under a lot of stress and your house is cold because you can't afford to heat it, which might sick, you're probably going to get sick. You know, you're probably going to get sick. The other thing that, that was, was not disclosed about 1918 is that there was an amazing, um, mustering of troops. We went from no, we went from like three corporals and a mule to having like five million or some insane number of young men under, under arms. And that was done fast and it was done very sloppily. And that included thousands of young men being pulled from their homes, living in tents in the freezing cold winter of Kansas, um, getting trained in the military arts. Um, that's, that's kind of a recipe for creating a lot of sick people. So, so there's, there's a, there's a, there's dozens of little details about the great flu of 1918 that are left out of the narrative. And the reason is they need that 1980 narrative to keep everybody scared. Um, and it was so interesting too, uh, is that nobody really studied how many people died during when it was happening because they had other things to worry about, like a world war. And you said they kept inflating it and over time it's gotten. It, higher it went, and higher and higher numbers. Yeah, in the 1920s, somebody came out with a paper estimating 20 million, and then then the subject was dropped until the 1980s, and suddenly there was all kinds of money to talk and write and research about the 1918 flu. Oh, based on our look, our look at the records, it was 50 million, and now that's been inflated to 100 million. I mean, next thing I know, it'll be a 10 billion. The whole world died in 1918, and, and we're, <laughs> you know, I mean, is that's the ludicrousness of it, but. Anyway, you'll see, you'll, you'll hear things about, you'll read things about that in, in the book. I also have something in here. It's a, it's in a, it's in the appendix. It's a 19, excuse me. It's a 2007 interview with a guy who analyzed the original SARS outbreak. Mm. And he completely showed it was a fraud in in 2007. There's another uh, book called The Moth in the Iron Lung that talks about polio. And at that time, um, you know, they were using arsenic and I forget what else to spray produce. You know, the book tried to make the connection that, again, polio may have been totally made up, too. Well, here's here's the uh, thing. Here's the the reality. There was no polio described until the late 19th century. Just didn't exist. Excuse me, I got a cough. Um, When I talk a lot, I cough. Um, No problem. So the first use of toxic pesticide in history was in the United States. In the 1860s, somebody experimented and it worked. And I guess somebody saw it as a pathway to riches, the, both the manufacturers and, and certain lazy farmers. And that's when you started to get this huge, um, you, know, well, you, you spraying food with poison. I mean, that's what pesticides are, right? right. And, and, and a lot of these pesticides are, they, they work because they disrupt the nervous systems of the insects. And, well, gee, we disrupt the nervous system of an insect 
what might it just might it disrupt the nervous system of a human being so anyway you can see that as soon as america started spraying like crazy all of a sudden polio appeared and became a huge problem and it tended to occur in the summer and it tended to occur in rural areas you know people are kids are outdoors they're in the fields there was no there was no polio to speak of in the third world until we started exporting toxic pesticides to the third world all of a sudden mm. uh, yeah right up comes polio and then they started to get a handle on on some of the toxins they were using the incidence of polio started to decline rapidly then out came the vaccine and they declared that the vaccine was what did it that's the facts that's what happened now maybe yeah. the vaccine was a miraculous thing and it prevents polio and all that kind of stuff but but if you actually look at the numbers polio was already you know it, rate rate of growth it had peaked and was declining right and that's yeah. that's when the vaccine came out i mean it's kind of a trick the u.s plays from time to time like for instance during the spanish-american war you know spain was fighting to try to hold on to its Cuba and hold on to the Philippines and and they got totally exhausted and that's when the US joined the war and of course the US was fresh as a daisy and went in and kicked ass and then said oh by the way Cuba's ours now and Philippines is ours or you know they're under our thumb now we 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 did the same thing in world war 1 like the french and the british and germans were you know knocking heads and the belgians you know in the trenches you know for year after year going nowhere and the thing would have ended and just as it was about to end, that's when we sent over our doughboys. And they made the difference, obviously, because they were fresh. They were healthy. They hadn't been in trenches for two years, starving, coming yeah. down with typhus. And they turned the tide. And then we used that as a as a bargaining chip. So so in a way, we kind of did the same thing. with. It, it appears we did the same thing with polio. When the polio was already disappearing, we put in the polio vaccine and then declared that, that it was our, our vaccine. The connection between, you know, and I haven't developed it fully, but the connection between warfare and, and vaccines and, and um, the pharmaceutical industry, the, their methodology and their morals similar, and also the amount of money to be made. You know, who makes more money than the pharmaceutical industry? Who makes more money than the arms industry? You know, nobody. And who pays? And by the way, who pays old bills? The, t the government, the treasury pays it. What, how much, like if I go out to buy shoes and somebody says, oh, these shoes are a thousand bucks, I'm going to go, I don't think so, buddy. You know, but if I'm uh, buying, you know, military gear and the guy wants to, you know, the, the, the $5,000 wrench and all that kind of stuff. Um, well, who cares? It's government. It's not my money. It's the government's money. Yeah, we'll buy it, you know. So there's money to be made. And once you have that money, you can buy a lot of people off. Yeah. yeah. All right, Ken. So on Amazon, uh, well, people can search for uh, what Unraveling in the COVID Con Part Two, or how should they search? Yeah, the yeah. Uh, Unraveling the COVID Con Volume Two, and it's the Blue Book as opposed to Volume One, which is the Red Book. So I, I strongly recommend the Blue Book. Um, <laughs> you might also get yourself a copy of the Nuremberg Code, the seventy fifth commemorative hmm. uh, edition. It's good. To, everybody should have have it handy. Yeah, I got it. It was a very quick read, and it was uh, it was really interesting. Well, I mean, everybody talks about the Nuremberg Code, but nobody can tell you what's in it. And, and and given that it's sort of the foundational document of medical ethics, and since we all have to deal with the medical system, it might be good if everybody had a copy. As you as you know, it's not as as le as legal stuff goes. It's not hard reading. You can read it in five minutes, and it's yeah. it's clear English. And then people, when they, I'm working with somebody right now, and I'll let you go. It's it's another project where we want to write a book that to educate people how dangerous their doctors actually are. And these drugs that they're prescribing are, 
so that not so that they say no to their doctors, but so that they know that they've got to, when the doctor says take X, Y, and Z, they need to go home and get on the internet and find out the adverse reactions because their doctor sh- does not know. Oh, yeah. I will bet, you know, if I could get a big enough sample, I would gladly bet that your doctor won't know. There will be some doctors that will, but. Oh, um, I know. I mean, I'll give you a big example. I know, uh, you know, a lady that was on metformin, millions and millions of people have taken. And she started feeling exhausted and not well. And you know, I looked up metformin. I know what's something called drug-induced nutrient depletion. So I yeah. look and it, it messes with your B12. It messes with your melatonin. Told her that. She spoke to her doctor. Doctor says, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, why didn't you say anything? So she started taking B12 supplements. Felt a lot better. Started taking some melatonin. Felt a lot better. Slept better. Doctor's like, yeah, whatever. Who cares? Didn't mind. It's odd. Do it. It's 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 an odd it's an odd way to to practice your profession to give somebody something and not say by the way in case you start feeling this way let me know right away because there are some reported adverse effects but they don't bother so my dream would be this this next book uh, which I'm working on with somebody else who's an expert in this people could just have at home and when they go to the doctor they can come, come home read the book learn how to research drugs themselves learn how to talk to their doctor and assert themselves some doctors are reasonable, some are unreasonable, but whether they're reasonable or unreasonable, you've got to be able to say no when somebody's prescribing something that's uh, not going to help and is likely to harm you. So, well, very good. Ken, again, thank you for what you do. I don't know how you do it without like, you know, wanting to cry, but you keep <laughs> doing it. So I, I really appreciate what you do. And, uh, you know, I hope uh, listeners, if they're skeptical, good, go ahead and, and, you know, get the material Ken puts out. He has also brasscheck.com, which has a, uh, I don't know about every single day, but probably four or five times a week, you have great articles about the various corruption and behind the scenes things that are going on in various fields. So that's a great resource. And, uh, you know, pick up the, the COVID con too. I recommend on Amazon, the Nuremberg code and, uh, anything else you have on offer. So thanks again for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Rich. I really appreciate it. Hey, there's one other thing I'd like to talk about and it kind of brings something full circle. Several months ago, you interviewed Linda Scottson clinician, a therapist from the UK that works with children with cerebral palsy. And I was just on a very long trip. And on my way home, I stopped in the UK for 10 days and conferred with her, watched her work with clients. And it was absolutely mind-boggling. And for people who don't know her work, basically, she was told her son would never sit up by himself, would never walk, would never communicate, and would never interact meaningfully with the rest of the world and would probably be dead by 20. And he's now in his mid-40s. He's run half marathons. He he speaks with difficulty, but you can speak with him. And he paints and his shows, his paintings have been shown at, uh, have been exhibited. And this is not a one-off. She has done this with hundreds of people with supposedly incurable neurological conditions, cerebral palsy, seizure disorders, extreme autism, I mean, really heavy-duty stuff. And, you know, I have a minor background in neuroscience, and uh, I have never read about anybody who even remotely approaches her in a having a sort of a global understanding of the entire physiology of the human body and how it relates to the functioning of the nervous system and the brain. A lot of neuroscience is really focused on just the brain, you know, the, the neurochemicals and, and models of, of cognition and all that kind of stuff. 
but she really understands how the whole system works. And, and since I've met her, and I've, I've spent over 100 hours with her interviewing her on the record, by the way, and every time we talk, I learn something new. But I've gone out now and I've tried to find anybody who can even approximate her global understanding of practical physiology and the, and the interaction between respiration, circulation, and the nervous system. And some people sort of glance at it. You know, they, they hit little parts of it. But I have yet to find anybody that's even in her, her ballpark. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is, is one of the things I learned is she had a very active practice. She had, in addition to her and her daughter, she had three therapists working with her. She had two administrative people. You know, they were working, you know, nine, 12 hours a day. And the work was supported by a charity. UK has basically healthcare for all. It wouldn't support her work. You know, her work's the only thing that actually works. So of course they wouldn't support it, but this charity supported it and they would cover the expenses of these families to have their children's help. Their children helped. So what happened, and, and I believe I've talked to you about this before, there was a sort of a witch hunt that was started pre-COVID, the, the summer before COVID, that was designed to attack and take out all the alternative therapies for people with vaccine injury. Now, if that timing was just a coincidence, okay, it was just a coincidence. But anyway, it was it happened. And one of the part of the program to discredit by the way, when I say alternative, I mean not loading the kids with drugs, because that is how kids and, and adults with neurological problems are, quote, treated. You just load them with a lifetime of drugs. So anybody that didn't do that was attacked pretty viciously. And it went all the way to the top. The Times of London and the Murdoch family was part of it. Interestingly enough, they did not attack her. And I think that's because she's pretty damn bulletproof. I don't think they want her to have any attention of any kind in the media. But what happened was it created a, a political problem for this charity. And they slowly started withdrawing all their financial support from the numerous alternative therapies that they were subsidizing for children with autism. Linda's clinic was the last to be turned off and they turned it off slowly. But now it was a collaborative effort. They would deliver the, the patients, they would deliver the money, and she would treat them. And her fees are absurdly low. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. If ever there was a person who was not a marketer, or a business person it was her. Well, just to tell you, it's 50. She, her time, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, and I'm trying to get her to change it, goes for 50 pounds an hour, you know, what you basically pay a hairdresser. And she's not an MD, but she's a clinician, and she's absolutely the best clinician for nervous system disorders now or probably in history. I mean, I, I know that sounds like, I mean, like I'm exaggerating, but remember, I'm the guy that said the internet was going to be commercialized in early 1994, and no one believed it. And I not only knew it was going to happen, I knew the path it was going to happen. I described it and it happened pretty much the way I said. So I don't say big things like this lightly. Maybe I will find somebody who is her equal, either in current or, or historical record. I haven't found anybody. But in any event, they turned off all her funding. So now all these families that were getting help, real help, are without resources. And so the clinic is, people still come, but she doesn't have a promotional support anymore. And it's sad, frankly. I mean, we have one of the greatest healers of our era, and I think of human history, operating in, and I don't even like to say this because I don't want to embarrass her, but operating in, in pretty much utter obscurity. It's pretty crazy. You would think that of all the billions of dollars that have been wasted on bogus medical research, somebody could find a couple hundred thousand pounds a year for her who would operate her clinic.
at the level it could be operated at. But in any event, that's the model of our medical system. If somebody wants to do some bogus drug trials, infinite millions of taxpayer dollars are available to them. If somebody has a 20-plus year track record of rehabilitating people with the most serious neurological disorders imaginable, and she has a scientific basis for it, that's something that needs to be added. She's not pulling this stuff out of thin air. However, you need to be conversant in dozens of different scientific and medical disciplines to realize they all have a piece of it, right? They all have established a certain piece of what she knows. She is, as far as I know, and I'm looking, I'd love to find somebody better. She is, as far as I know, the only person that has put all this information together into a working system that can rehabilitate un, so-called untreatable neurological problems. Now, to be accurate, you know, it doesn't, if someone has severe cerebral palsy, it does not mean they're going to be tap dancing, but it means they're going to be able to sit up, they're going to be able to walk, they're going to be able to converse, they're going to be able to have a life. And if you know that disease, uh, that is not in the cards for many people with that disorder. So we're not talking about, you know, some sort of miraculous healing. We're also not talking about something easy. It's a multi-year process, but it's doable. It's doable. So that's how our medical system works. We have a, a, a bona fide genius who's doing things that have never been done before in the history of medicine. Everything she does is backed up by science, which she can point to. She can point to every paper that validates every aspect of her model, and she can't get a support from the system. That's kind of where we're at with medicine. I imagine this story is can be told a thousand times. If you are not prescribing drugs or some expensive surgical procedure, there will be no support from the system for what you do, even if what you do is exponentially more successful than the drug and surgical intervention model. That's our medical system. That's a problem. That's the problem, really. And in addition to you know my own background in neuroscience, which isn't deep, but I did study it at Princeton, and I have kept up with it over the years, in addition to over 100 hours plus hours talking with her, uh, I also added 10 days of watching her work and seeing the clients, seeing the children. She also works with adults who've had stroke. You know, I've seen it. It's not a theory. It's not something imagined. It's a real thing going on. So anyway, that, that I just wanted to make sure I shared that piece with you because I know you had interviewed her before. And actually, after talking with her for 100 plus hours and seeing her work, we might do a, a three-way interview with her at some point. Because, you know, sometimes when you're close to the work, you're not the best at describing what you do. And as you know, Rich, I'm pretty good at describing procedures, you know, and understanding how to present things to the public. As significant as I thought it was when I met her almost a year ago, now after spending, I, I say 100 plus, who knows, it might be 200 plus hours talking with her and seeing her work in her clinic. Her work is way beyond what I thought it was even when I was so impressed by it a year ago. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. 
This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.